0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. You know, sometimes someone will ask you, what does holy mean? If I had to, I would probably point to moments like we just had where, where we're so focused on him and where he's so tangible, where he's so all we're thinking of, all we're focused on, all we want and all we need. And it's just holy. It's pure. And I'm so thankful that that heaven will be full of moments and hours and days like that. But I'm also thankful that this life can be so full of Him here and now. And that the promises we have And the God that we serve is not distant, far away, waiting for one day when we die. But that Jesus on his knees, for you and for me, when he's praying in John chapter 16, said that this is true life. This is eternal life, that they would know you. they would believe in the Son that you sent. And so, God, I just thank you that you're here. God, that... That you're not far away, that, that you're not waiting for us to do the right thing to be here, God. That you were more excited this morning than we were as we came into your presence. Like a father welcoming his kids. I just thank you for that, God. I thank you that we have your promise. That you'll never leave us, you never forsake us. That you're with us always, even to the end of the age. God, I thank you right now if there's anybody hearing my voice right this second this morning. It feels far from You. God, that right now, I thank You that their feelings don't reflect Your truth. Yes. Thank you. That You're not far away. That You're here in our midst and even within us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that you have a standard that you can hold up, that you have something that you can say. Even when I don't feel like it, God, I thank you that my feelings are not a reflection of your truth. That even when you feel far away, God, that your word has a better promise than what I'm feeling in the moment. And and, and that even when it feels like you've turned from me, God, that I'm in Christ, your word says I'm a new creation seated in heavenly places in Christ, and you could no more turn from me than you can turn from your son whom you love, because I'm in him. That you're not far away, that when I move, you move with me because you're in me. Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of us. Where could I go to escape your presence? David was talking about a reality that we would come to live and enjoy. David realized that wherever he went, the presence of God went with him. And we could say the same thing because wherever we go, the presence of God goes with us because he's in us. And he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We don't have to pray like David. God, don't take your presence from me because we have a better promise. A promise that said, I'm with you always. That's what faith looks like. It's in those moments when it feels so different than what His Word says is true. It's choosing to believe what His Word says over what I feel. It's saying, God, I know that this is what it looks like with my eyes, God. Far be it from me to not believe even when my eyes can't see. We sing that, but we should live that. Because it's amazing to sing it. It's even more amazing to actually live it where our reality is controlled by that, where we say, God, even when my eyes don't see, far be it from me to not believe what your word said, because your word is faithful and true, and let the word of God be true, and every man a liar. Let the word of God be more true than the feelings, thoughts, emotions, wills, or desires of any man, because you are truth, truth is a man, his name is Jesus, not just words on a page, it's a life lived in front of us, and he said that he is the exact representation of the nature of the Father. So why it's so important that we know him, because if we know him, if you've seen me, you've seen the... Father, we don't have to spend our whole, hey, Claire, how are you? Awesome. I didn't even know you were here. I recognized your voice, and then I looked up and found your face. Yeah, and they know your voice, right? Claire is a woman who has given her life to so many people's children in nurseries and in children's church, and she, she was a big part of, of raising up Aaliyah when she was a little girl, and, and so it's just awesome to see you. It really is. Bless you. Thank you for being here. Um, And there's people like Claire all over. They don't have a name on a billboard and and, and nobody might really know what they do, but God knows and God sees and it's a big deal to Him. And whether people could accurately recognize what you've done in this life is no match for what God thinks and says about you. It's the truth. There's so many people out there. People's inability to recognize you has nothing to do with who you are absolutely nothing to do with who you are. Whether or not someone can see you and see you the way God sees you has nothing to do with who you are. It's a representation of the fact that they can't see. And why would we let what they can't see change who God says that we are? See, His truth's got to be bigger than everything around us or will only be as good as people's ability to recognize us. And that's how we get so many people that are hurt and and discouraged and and going through life and, and feeling like, well, no one even notices. Why do you care if no one notices? You're not doing it for them anyways. It says that you're doing everything as if unto the Lord. And He always sees because He's all seeing. So He's seen everything that you've gone through and everything that you've done. He's seen. And what is done in secret, He'll reward in public. And don't worry if His timing isn't the same as yours. Because sometimes He's saving the reward and He's building a reward that's so great that if you try to rush it early and step into it on your own, you'll miss out on something amazing He had for you. Don't get ahead of Him. Trust Him. Let go of my soul. These songs we sang today, I didn't even know what we were really speaking about when we were talking about the list earlier this week, and it's just so amazing how God, it's almost like He knows. It's almost as if He sits in heaven outside of time and sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, isn't it? But we sang that, let go my soul and trust in him because the waves and the wind, they still know his name. In other words, he's still the same Jesus that walked on the earth. And when he spoke, the ocean calms. He hasn't lost his ability. He hasn't lost his power. He's not in heaven going, I wish I could go back down there. He's in heaven saying, I'm glad they're there because I'm there in them. Because it was better that I go so the Holy Spirit could come. Well, that's not just for me and you, so that we can put on a show for each other and entertain each other. It's for the world because God came because he, uh, Jesus came because God so loved the world. So, if it was better for the disciples, it was better for the world. If it was better for you and I, it's better for the people around us. And the only reason why we laugh and we scoff and we don't believe that is because we're not actually believing what He said and walking in the fullness that's available. That's the truth, right? And that's not condemnation, that's excitement because that's saying if he said it, it's true and it's up to me to actually go after him and live a life that, where my reality lines with his truth. Not to sit around and say, God, I just don't understand why you would say these things and my life looks like that. God's probably in heaven saying, I just don't understand why you would live like that when I said this. So many of the questions we ask him would be a whole lot better if he turned around and asked them to us. They'd make a whole lot more sense. Because we're on earth asking God, why on earth does my life not look like you said it would in heaven? And God's in heaven saying, why on earth are you living like that when I sent my son so you could live like this? Why are you settling? Why are you living so far below where Jesus came and gave His life and lived a life of an example for you? Why are you settling for something so much smaller And have such a skewed picture of who I am by looking at things that were dim representations when I gave you my son. And the word declares that he is the exact representation of the nature of the father. If I can't find it in Jesus' life, then I should stop identifying the father by it because he's the exact nature. The exact representation. Open your Bibles if you have them. Um, So that was just free. Um, To 1 Samuel 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. God, I just thank you that your word is alive. God, I thank you that as I read these words, God, it's your word speaking. That it's spirit-breathed, and there's life in it. That our hearts would be open to receive, that our ears would be open to hear, that our minds... God, that we would understand that Your Word says that we have the mind of Christ and that we can understand the things of You because we have access to His mind. Holy Spirit, that You would reveal to us the deep things of the Father, that our hearts would receive, that that seed would bear fruit in our lives, and that in in so doing, that men would taste and see that You're good, Father, because of the fruit of our lives. That a world that desperately desperately is dying every day for a lack of knowing You would see something in our lives that's worth having, that they would be so drawn to You that they would see our good deeds and glorify our Father who's in heaven. I thank You for that, Father. I thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys, that's the reality that he said, that he said men would see your good deeds and they would glorify your Father in heaven. Why? Because your life would be so uncommonly lived that the way that you live your life wouldn't be explainable by earthly measures and there would have to be something greater than something that's on this earth to explain why you can live the way that you live, why you have the peace that you have, why you have the joy that you have. Because when they look around at your life and they say, well, all these things are going on around them, yet they're not freaking out. Why are they not acting like everybody else? There must be something different. And all that comes from your mouth is what? His praise is ever on my lips. So everything that I'm going through, His praise is constantly on my lips. And so if there's anything that they're going to attribute the way that I live my life to, it's not going to be me standing up there and saying, well, you know, brother, it's just because I'm such a, you know, I'm just a patient person. And, and I've, I've spent so much time, um, you know, just really cultivating this personality. And all this stuff that sometimes we're tempted to do because we want people to think that we really have something when we really do have something. We just don't realize the most important thing that we have is Him. But if His praise would ever be on our lips, if His praise was always on my lips, then there's no doubt when you see something in my life that's worth having, where it came from. And that's how men see our good deeds and glorify our Father who's in heaven. It's not by acting humble and putting yourself down. That's the biggest act in the world. Well, you know, I'm just a dirty piece of of trash. I'm nothing but a filthy rat. No, you are not. And if you are, then, you, then I need to introduce you to my friend Jesus Christ who gave His life on a cross. And He's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And He became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't come to earth and just act sinful so that you could act righteous. He actually came to earth and became sin so that you could become righteous. There's a big difference. It's not an act. It's who you are. Well, if I'm so righteous, then how come I sin? Well, let me ask you this. Before you were born again, how did you do anything that was holy and righteous? Why? Because you were able to act outside of the character and nature that was within you. Guess what? You get born again, a new nature comes inside. We're now partakers of the divine nature. All these things are in your Bible, I promise. I don't have the time to stop and give you all the addresses, but they're in there. We have now become partakers of the divine nature. There's a new nature that lives inside you where once you were a servant of the God of this world. You are now the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the servant of Him. No longer slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. See, before you were born again and someone was walking down the street and $20 dropped out of their pocket, you had the ability to act like God and be honest and have integrity and go over and grab that $20 bill and go give it to the person. The reason the person is so shocked is because that's not human nature. That's you acting outside of the nature that's inside of you. Guess what? You get born again. You become a new creation in Christ. You have the ability to do the same thing and respond in a nature that's not who you are anymore. And It doesn't change who you are because you couldn't return enough $20 bills to become holy and righteous in God's eyes before you were born again. You can't not return enough hundred dollars bills to become unholy and unrighteous in His eyes once you are born again. If you can't wor- work your way into it, you probably can't send your way out of it. But here's the thing. Once there's a new nature in you and once He gives you the desires of your heart, why would you want to try it becomes a pleasure to actually grab that money and run up to the person and say, hey, you dropped this. And when they turn around, surprised, And they want to know why you would do something like that. You ever had someone ask you why you would do something that you did? There's a perfect opportunity to share the gospel. And now people actually want what you have. That's when evangelism's easy. Because they actually want something that you have because they've seen something in your life that they admire and that they value. That's a perfect opportunity to say to them, well, the truth of the matter is, Is There was a time where I probably wouldn't have returned that $20 bill to you, but then a man named Jesus changed my life, and now all I can do is serve Him and love Him. And if I actually love Him, then that means I love you. And if I love you, why would I keep your money? See, loving people fulfills all the commandment of... Loving God and loving people fulfills all the law of Moses and the prophets. All the commandments are fulfilled in these. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. If I love you, I'm not going to do the things to you that I wouldn't want you to do to me. I'm going to be honest with you because I want you to be honest with me. And I'm not doing it so that I fulfill a commandment. I'm doing it out of genuine love. That's why it's no longer a burden. I'm not going, I really want to lie, but I know God might smite me. See, we've moved beyond, is it sin? And we've moved into, God, what do you look like? And what does it look like to represent the kingdom of heaven in this circumstance? And that's where honesty becomes a natural response. Why? Because he's honest and he's in me. And I'm called to live like him. Why? So that I can represent the Father to the world. I'm not, I'm no longer representing the god of this world who was formerly i was of now i have a new king there's someone new on the throne and my pleasure is to represent him to the world So a kind word turns away wrath isn't an obligation and it's not a formula, it's a truth that I live in. What comes out of me when people are wrathful is kindness, not because I want the word to work in my life. Not a formula so that you'll be nice to me and stop being mean to me. It's so much deeper than that. When you respond to me in wrath, all that can come out of me is kindness because that's all that's in me. And if I find something else coming out, rather than being, you know, oh, no, well, you know, uh, uh, and giving excuse and giving place to it, go after that thing. Why is there something other than kindness manifesting in me? Why am I acting impatient? Why am I being rude? Why do I have this want to be a jerk? What am I not seeing, God, that keeps me from responding like you in every situation? Because if you live in me and your desire is for me to look like you, then anytime I do something outside of your character and nature, rather than beating myself up, God, I thank you that's no longer who I am. And then suddenly where we miss the mark becomes a chance to commune with God rather than a chance to sit around and beat myself up and feel bad. God, I thank you that there was a time in my life where I could respond like a jerk and actually feel good about it and probably brag to my friends. I know none of you guys ever lived like that. I know a guy though. There was a time, God, where I could actually take pride in being able to say things to people that hurt their feelings so bad that they couldn't even speak. And I might even brag to people about it and replay those stories over and over again. God, I thank you that you've so changed my life that that's not even in me anymore. That when somebody is responding to me in a way that's outside of your nature, I understand it's just because they're probably hurt, they don't know who they are, and they definitely don't know who I am. So why would I let that bother me? (laughs) Why would I let somebody else's brokenness cause me to be broken in return? And then run around complaining to everybody else about how broken they are. I think First Samuel chapter, chapter 8, are we all there? Then all the elders of Israel gathered, gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you've grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us, to judge, for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So the people of Israel have been brought out of Egypt and they were led by shepherds who were appointed by God and everybody knew that they were God's man to lead and then it came to the time of prophets where God would speak through a man the man would speak to the people it would be confirmed by God and they would know that he is the prophet of God and they see that Samuel's getting old and they want to have a king and so they come to Samuel and they say to him I love this. Because we can find out so much about what people are doing and saying to us by looking through the word and seeing what people were doing and saying to them. It says, Behold, you've grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. They come to him, and the first thing they do is they try to flatter him a little bit. Samuel, you're a good man. This is not about you, but your sons. So you're getting older, Samuel, and and we know that you're a great man, but your sons, they're not walking in the way of God the way that you do. They're trying to flatter him a little bit. Why? Because they have an agenda. They have something that they want from him. We have this distorted thing out there that we call honor, which is where we say things to people that we don't really mean to get them to respond in a way that we want them to respond. That's not honor. That's flattery. Flattery always has an agenda. Saying something from your lips that you don't mean in your heart is not honoring somebody. So if what you want to say about them in your heart, shouldn't come from your lips. Keep it quiet, but don't stop there. Get alone with God and ask God, why is there something in my heart that would be dishonorable to come from my lips? And why is it that if I was to say something out of my lips that's in my heart right now, I wouldn't want to say it to people? God, why would I have to say something with my mouth that I don't believe in my heart in order for it to sound okay to people? Because flattery has an agenda. It has something that it wants. It has something that it seeks, and that's not love, because love doesn't seek after its own. So when people come to you and the first thing they do is flatter you, be really careful because the next thing that's coming is probably not in your best interest. It's probably in theirs. I'm serious. That's why we need discernment, you guys, because you can get swept away by that stuff. If you don't know who you are in Christ and you're not okay, and you don't realize how okay you actually are in Him you don't understand the fullness of your redemption. You're not finding your worth and your value by every single day loving the fact that He sent His Son to die on a cross for you and thought that you were worth the blood of His Son. You're very susceptible to being flattered because you're walking around like a puppy hoping someone scratches you behind the ear. And when the person scratches you behind the ear, you'll follow them anywhere as long as they keep scratching every now and then. Even if they kick you every now and then when they're mad. So they come to Samuel with a little bit of flattery. Samuel, you've grown old, and your sons—you know, you're a great man, but your sons—and so—and then they say this, and, and they reveal what's in their heart. Give to a, give us a king to judge us like all the nations. You know what I love? I love this that it says that this thing was displeasing to Samuel, and he prayed to the Lord. The longer I live, the more I understand that when people say something to me that's displeasing, rather than voicing out of my displeasure and answer right back to them, the wise thing to do is take it to the Lord and respond from what He's saying, not from my displeasure. I love that what they were asking for wasn't God's heart, God reveals it, and Samuel had every right to not like what they were saying, but rather than spouting off his mouth and immediately having an answer that came from his own displeasure, he gets alone with God and seeks God's voice and speaks from what the Father's saying rather than from his own displeasure. There's wisdom in that. It's almost like all Scripture is God-breathed and given to us for teaching and correcting You realize when Paul was saying that, the New Testament wasn't wrote yet. He was actually writing the New Testament. So he had to be speaking to the New Testament church about the Old Testament. Don't ever fall for this logic that the Old Testament is irrelevant to today. The trick is in knowing what was just for then, what was just for us, and what was for both. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to make His Word alive to us and have discernment and understand. A a workman rightly able to divide Scripture. Why? Because some things have nothing to do with who you are in Christ and some things still have everything to do with who you are in Christ and knowing which is which will be a great help to you. Otherwise, you'll be tempted to either just reject every bit of it or accept every bit of it and then you find yourself all screwed up. Yeah, because then you're checking your tags, finding out if your cotton's blended because somebody told you that you can't get tattoos and in the same verse you saw that if you can't get tattoos, you can't wear blended fabric either. Or you drive by a farmer's house, you're tempted to want to call down fire on them and tell them they're sinful because they got two different kinds of crops planted in the same field. So you can get weird quick. Or you can be the other way and you can just say, well, none of that stuff applies to me. Oh, slow down. Slow down. Because Paul was writing to the New Testament church, to the New Covenant church, to the church that was alive on the earth after Christ died and gave His life. And he said that all Scripture is breathed by God and profitable for correction, teaching, exhortation. See, we want to apply that just to the New Testament. The problem is, is they didn't have the New Testament. He was writing it when he wrote that. Don't look at me with that tone of voice, you guys. <laughs> so a few things about this request. One. When did God ever make it up to the Israelites to decide what was next? When did God ever say, you guys, I want you to worry about who's going to lead you. I want you guys to sit around and count the years that the prophet has left on the earth. And I want you guys to try to figure out what should happen next. When did God ever ask the Israelites' opinion over who should rule over them? When did He ask them when they were in the fields, hey, do you guys mind if I send a man named Moses? to bring you out of here he didn't i don't even recall him asking moses it was pretty much a tell go to pharaoh say this we would we would do well to know when god's telling us to do something and stop treating it like it was a request see there's that tone of voice again no i'm serious you guys we would really do well to know when god's telling us to do something and stop treating it like a request and saying well you know i, I just didn't feel like What did it have to do with what you felt like? I don't remember him saying, if you feel like it, do this. I remember him saying, go do this. Well, I I didn't really feel led. Well, why wouldn't you feel led? He's your shepherd and he spoke it, so you should probably feel led. (laughs) So the second thing is this, is They reveal what's going on in their hearts by the request that they make to Samuel. If they would have just stopped for a second and listened to themselves, they would have understood why they were saying what they said. Because they said, give us a king like all the other nations. Here's the thing. They were never called to be like all the other nations. They were a holy People, a peculiar people, separate people unto Himself. When did they get the idea that they needed to be like all the other nations? You know what? We would do real good to understand that ourselves, you're not called to be like everybody else. The sooner you accept that and actually begin to enjoy that, the easier life becomes. Because if your value system is based on what everybody else around you has going on, you'll find yourself with a whole bunch of wants and a whole bunch of needs based on things that people around you have that you were never called to mimic and replicate their life. So they look around and they see all the other nations have a king. They are led by a prophet. They look and and because what they see with their eyes doesn't look like there's a way that God can do it as if God ever needed their advice and their opinion, they decide, well, the prophet's getting older. His sons aren't walking in his ways as if God was limited to the few sons that Samuel had to raise up a man that could speak on his behalf. See, when we forget that he's God, and we start looking and trying to figure things out and rationalizing and using logic and saying, well, Samuel's this many years, the average guy lives to be this age, none of his sons are walking in his ways, so if he gets and points one of them to be prophet, we're going to be in trouble, we should probably do something about this now before he drops dead and then we're really in trouble. As if God was in, uh, up in heaven, unaware of Samuel's age. Or the fact that his sons weren't walking in his way. So many times, you guys, we think that God has no idea about what's going on in our lives and we make these requests of him as if he's absent and going, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was going on, Roy. I am so glad you brought this to my attention. And not a day too late. That's why I love you, Roy, because you're so quick to recognize things and let me know what's going on down there on that little planet that you call Earth. Thank you, my son. Come on. That sounds foolish, right? But a lot of the times the way that we pray, if we could hear it from His end, it probably sounds a lot like that. God, you don't know what's happening down here, so I'm going to let you know so that you can actually do something. And God's going, you don't understand what happened down there when Jesus came, or you wouldn't be calling for me to do something, you'd be walking in what's already done. You don't actually believe the words that I spoke are enough. If you did, that you would take the words that I spoke and you would live with them and you would proceed by every word that pre- live by every word that proceeds out of my mouth instead of asking me to do more. Because all you're doing when you're screaming out to God to do more is saying, I don't understand the fullness of my redemption, God. I don't understand what actually all things are new. I don't really believe that it's finished. So could you come down here and finish it again? The problem with that is "is finished means done. I know a lot of our prayers sound really righteous and holy in our own ears. But what the enemy hears is he doesn't really believe. Uh Aha. Because if he believed, he wouldn't be praying that way. He doesn't actually believe. You know, he doesn't think that you believe anything that you say. Why? Because he's a liar and the truth is not in him. He doesn't believe anything he says. So when he hears you make these bold declarations, he comes and he wants to test that. You ever said something and stood on a principle, stood on something, declared something in front of the world, and then had everything in hell come and push against that thing? The very thing that you just boldly spoke out. You know why? Because he's trying to find out if you actually believe what you said. That's why he came and tempted Jesus when Jesus was hungry and said, Turn these stones into bread. He's trying to figure out does he actually believe what he says he believes? Does he actually believe that he needs more than just, that something other than God's word for him to live? And he's constantly doing that with us. And so the children of Israel are like, Oh man, we just want to be like all the other people. Why do you want to be like all the other people? Like, f- seriously. We have this drive in church to try to make church look as close as we can to the society around us. In the name of relevance, why do we want to look like everybody around us? Who do you think brought them to that place? We're so busy trying to be relevant that we're actually rewriting what Scripture says so that we don't offend people. And all we do is this. We fight on a certain mountaintop for long enough until there's enough people fighting against us and then we abandon that mountain and we retreat to the next one and then we fight there until there's enough people fighting against us and then we retreat to that mountain. And every single time we do it, we make the word of God to none avail. Because what we're saying is, is, well, I'll fight for this, but as soon as there's more people fighting against this than there are fighting for it, then I'll give in and we'll secede that hill and we'll say, okay, well, that's okay, I guess. But, and I feel like there's so many things, you guys, right now in our society, we are at a crucial time where society is trying to change and trying to define for us what the Word of God says. And if Christian people don't actually stand on the Word and believe the Word and in love communicate God's truth to people without coming across like jerks, but coming across as truthful and sincerely loving people, we will abandon every single hill in all that We'll have left this. Well, I do believe that there's a God in heaven that, that, that He sent His Son to die on a cross. And then along comes a group of people that says, you guys, you know that actually being raised again from the dead is physically impossible. And now the battle's there because we've, we've abandoned every single battle along the way. We've given in to every single world opinion. And because it was easy to say something is wrong... A hundred years ago when the majority of society that didn't believe in God said it was wrong. Now all of a sudden when the majority of society that doesn't believe in God says it's right, suddenly that's speaking so much louder in our ears than actually His word that we're starting to line up what we believe with what society around us says. And in the name of relevancy, we're becoming absolutely useless to the world around us because what good is salt if it loses its savor? You aren't called to be relevant, you're called to be salt. I love when God gives me these light, easy messages, these fun messages to preach, right? I can just see the glow in your faces. You're like, I'm so glad. I am so encouraged right now. Listen, we should be encouraged because anything He's called us to do, He's empowered us to do. And it's a good fight. A good fight is one that's actually worth fighting. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. A good fight is also a fight that you win. Any fight you lose is a bad fight. Right? Right? So one of the saddest verses in the word to me is right here, 1 Samuel 8.22. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. You can almost hear it when you read it. You can hear God looking at them and saying, Oh, they don't understand. I brought them out of Egypt into a land where there was nothing and I kept them alive with water that flowed from rocks and manna that dropped from heaven. All I wanted them to do was understand this one thing, that it, your ability to live is nothing to do with what you do besides if you follow me. I just want you to trust me. I brought you to a place where you had nothing so that you would learn to trust me. You wandered around in that wilderness for 40 years. 40 years. And I finally get you to a place where I bring you into the promised land. I bring you into a place that flows with milk and honey. Now you're eating from vineyards that you did not plant and you're drinking from wells that you did not dig and you're enjoying the fruit of someone else's labor. And I've brought you to this place that I said I would even when you couldn't see how and I defeated the enemy and I drove them out and all you had to do was just take up your sword and actually believe that I was doing it. Sometimes all you had to do was just break pots and light lanterns or march around buildings. You guys, all I wanted you to do was get to a place where you actually trusted me to the point where if I was all that you needed, then I was all that you needed. And now here you are looking around and panicking because you want to be like everybody else. And because you don't actually trust that I have a plan for what's next after Samuel dies and you're in a panic. If we really believe that he is God, that he has a plan for my life, there's no need to panic no matter what happens. There's no need to run to him in terror as if he's unaware. Oh God, you just don't know what's going on down here. I'm telling you. Okay. Write down your prayers. and Go back and look at them sometimes and see how much of it sounds like you trying to inform God of what's going on down here as if He's unaware or uncaring about your situation. And so here they are. And the root of this problem and why they wanted to be like everybody else was this. They lost sight of the fact that He's good, that He loves them, that He has a plan for them, and that He's better than anything they could conceive in their own mind. Had they understood and believed that, they never would have asked Samuel for something outside of what God was already giving them. If we lose sight of him, you guys, today, and start to determine what we need or want based on anything else, but especially based on what those around us have, we can find ourselves asking for or wanting things that are completely outside of his wishes and his desire and the scariest part about that is is that sometimes he'll let us have them. because he didn't want them to have a king. But he gave them what they asked for. He even tells Samuel, tell him I'll give him a king, but warn them of what it will be like. He will rule over you and you will be a servant to him. He says, it's not going to go well, you guys, but I'll give you what you want because you keep asking for it. That's the scary thing, is that sometimes we can find ourselves asking Him for things that absolutely are outside of what He wants for us, and He loves us enough that He'll let us have them. How many times has that thing that promised to taste so good made us sick when we actually took a bite? That thing that promised to be so good, it looked so good, it looked so attractive, it was going to be so good. And then we take a bite and it gets in our mouth and we can hardly swallow it because it's disgusting. And all of that is born and every single time that happens it's because we have taken our eyes off of His goodness and we've lost sight of the fact that He loves me so much that He said that my life was actually prepared for good works ahead of time that I would walk in in them. That He said that He has a plan to bless me, not to harm me, to prosper me, to give me a future and a hope. And if I lose sight of that, then I start looking around and I see other people and the way that they live. Or I'll start looking back. That was the other thing they did. You guys remember when they started looking back at Egypt? We talked a little bit about this last week. Remember? They looked back and they were unhappy with eating manna. They were unhappy with the fact that God miraculously provided them every single day with everything they needed to eat. And they looked back and they said, man, it was better in Egypt. Are you kidding me? No, it was not better in Egypt. They were killing you. They were raping your daughters. They were enslaving your sons. You worked all day long in the sun for nothing. No, it was not better in Egypt. Well, we had lemon and garlic. It sounds so silly and we laugh, but you guys, we've done the same things because sometimes if we're not careful and we're not being drawn by Him and we're not so assured of the fact that He's good and that He loves me and His plan for me is good, we'll start looking back at our former life and romanticizing it and editing out the parts that hurt and remembering only the parts that we thought were fun for a moment and we'll forget the consequences that came with it and we'll find ourselves just like the, Egypt, just like the Israelites going, I wish we were back in Egypt so we could have lemon and garlic and rape and slavery and murder and abuse and working in the sun for nothing but see that part gets edited out because we look back and we're looking back through this filter and romanticizing a life that we once lived but the problem with that is is that our memory never actually reminds us of the penalty and the and the hurt and the shame and the guilt and everything that came along with it and all we remember is the good stuff and why can't we just be like everybody else because you were never called to be like everybody else thank god for that you were called to be a holy people, a peculiar people, something different about your life, set apart the apple of His eye. He has set His affection upon you. You walk in truth, not in darkness. You actually have light that is light, not light that is darkness. You were never called to live like everybody else. You, what a silly question. Why can't I just be like everybody else? That's a sure sign that you've taken your eyes off of Him and that your eye is no longer single and focused on Him because you're actually looking around and thinking that somebody who lives a life separated from the God of the universe and doesn't know the actual joy and peace that it is to have the filling of the Holy Spirit in their life and to know that their name is written written in the Lamb's book of life, that doesn't daily walk in communion with Him, understanding that I'm a son and He's a loving Father and I'm looking at their life and seeing something in their life that I want? Come on. That's a sure sign that I've taken my eyes off of Him. Or maybe the things that other people have are worth having, but the time isn't right for me to have them. Because I'm not mature enough, and God hasn't finished what He wants to do in me, and established what He wants to do in me, and if He was to give me that now, I wouldn't be able to steward it wisely, and it would actually harm me. Mm -hmm. And maybe God loves me enough to say, that is good, that is a blessing, and that is for you, but it's not right now. Mm -hmm. You ever have a kid that just wanted something so badly? No? You can borrow Jackson for one day. (laughs) He always wants something. He's relentless. You ever have a kid or somebody that you know that wants something so badly that they'll settle for a cheap version of it just so they can have that thing that they want so badly? And you're looking at them and you're going, listen to me, that's $5 and you can get it today. That's $20 and it'll take you a month. But I promise you, if you would just wait, the $20 version is 50 times better than the $5 version. Don't waste your money. Don't waste your life. What you can have today is not as good as what you can have if you wait for God's timing. Don't grab hold of it early. The cheap version is never as good as the real thing. You get what you pay for, right? Like, you get what you pay for in life. Well, guess what? You get what you wait for in Him. In the world, you get what you pay for. In God, you get what you wait for. So wait upon the Lord. Those that wait upon the Lord will be renewed in their strength. They'll rise up on eagles' wings. Why do you want to run around on the ground with a bunch of turkeys when you could wait a little bit and you could soar like an eagle? I'm serious, you guys. Stop. Don't settle for something cheap. A relationship that requires no work is not worth having. Well, it's easy. Yeah, of course it's easy. There's nothing in it that's worth having. I just want to have a nice, easy relationship where I don't have to think about it. Okay, well, get a roommate. Get a dog. You know what? Not even a dog. A dog requires more time and attention than that. Get a fish. Get a goldfish. All you got to do is sprinkle a few flakes on top. That's what some people want in a relationship, is a goldfish relationship where all I have to do is neglect the thing and then sprinkle a few flakes on top every now and then (laughs) the (laughs) goldfish. Who wants that? You don't need married in a goldfish relationship. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Where you just forget about each other and spend your lives consumed with other things and then every now and then you sprinkle a little food on top of the bowl so that they come to the top you can catch them in the net. <laughs> we're laughing, but the truth of the matter is, is a lot of us have a relationship, if we're not careful, it looks a lot like goldfish, where when we want something from them we sprinkle a little food on top to get them to come to the top so we can get them and do what we want to them. Oh, you're so beautiful and I love you so much. Sprinkle, sprinkle. <laughs> now, will you? You're just just—you're just the most amazing person in the world. And it's not just in marriage. It happens in friendships. Be really careful when you have people around you that just sprinkle food on top and they want to get something from you. You're just the most amazing person ever. Oh man, you, I just, I, I love you and I would just this, this, blah, blah, blah. And all they're doing is sprinkling food on top and they're seeing that you're circling because you're hungry because you're not fulfilled in Him and so you're actually hungry. And you're circling, you're coming closer to the top and they keep sprinkling that food and you're going, oh. And then pretty soon you get up close enough to the top, they dip the net down, they grab you and they throw you somewhere in the frying pan. <laughs> and you've been had because you were so desperate for somebody to sprinkle a little food in your dish because you're not being filled every day by every word that proceeds from His mouth. Why would you ever fall victim to something like that? It's because you don't believe that, every, that, that you actually are fulfilled by every word that proceeds from His mouth. And so you're actually looking around at stones and thinking that would make pretty good bread. And you sprinklers. You're no better. Because you see a weakness in somebody or you see a need in somebody you use that to fulfill some need that you have. Life's easy if you just want to live at people's expense and for people's love. Life's easy because all you've got to do is figure out somebody that doesn't have anything that's desperate and give them what there is that they want and they'll do whatever you want them to do. Friendships, relationships, and some people have even reduced marriage to that. We're just manipulating each other. Come on, you guys, that's not it. You're not called to have a relationship like a goldfish. You're called to have a relationship like two human beings, like Jesus Christ came and gave an example by laying his life down. By looking at the very one who was actually going to betray him and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. And he looks at him knowing full well what that one's going to do and says, yep, he's worth it. I'll go to the cross and die for him. And God in heaven says, yeah, he's worth your blood. That's what we're called to. Next week, we'll, we'll get to the other 90%. I'm just going to close with this. If we don't have a relationship with Him where He's actually speaking to us, loving us, fathering us, guiding us, and we're not receiving what we need from Him, We place ourselves in a position where we're so easily taken advantage of. Because every one of us was created with a need so that we would find our fulfillment in Him. And if we're not finding fulfillment in Him, we will find it somewhere else and sometimes make a God of wherever we find it. We can make a God out of just about anything. It's not just golden calves made with melted earrings. We can make a God out of a lot of things. Because whatever it is that fills the need that we have in our life for God will make a God for a season. The problem is, is that those mute idols, like the Word tells us, can't give us what it is that we were designed for, and that's intimacy with the Father. And from that place, we live for others. We live from love for others, not for love from others. That's what we're called to. That's what this life is. It's being so filled with love that we live for others from His love, not from Others for their love. People aren't goldfish. You don't have a little bag of food in your back pocket. People are souls and they're human beings that were created in the exact representation and in the image and likeness of God. And they need somebody who can see beyond their own needs because their needs are actually fulfilled by the Father that their eyes are open enough that they can see the need that others have and show them the way to the One who holds everything they're looking for rather than seeing them as an easy person to take advantage of. don't look around and judge what you need and, and go to God and because others have it and say, God, I want this like everyone else. You're not supposed to be everyone else. You're supposed to be you. And what they have may be worth having, but not until He do- opens His hand and gives it to you. Listen, if you're in here and you're waiting for your relationship, your guy, girl, whatever it is that you are, understand this. He loves you enough that He's not just going to sell you off cheap and give you to the first person that comes along. He has somebody for you, and He wants you to be in a relationship that's fulfilling. He wants you to be in a relationship that makes you more like Him because you're actually being loved through that person's overflow of their love for the Father. Don't go grabbing a hold of something and settling for the $5 version when the $20 version is so much better. Don't sell yourself cheap. Don't settle cheap. If you're in a relationship and you feel like there's been some goldfish stuff going on, you know the easiest way to stop that is for both of you guys to find the source. Then you won't need each other to sprinkle the bowl. And then you'll actually have something to give each other. And you won't be needy. You'll be full. Because what I have, I give. If all I have is brokenness and need, what can I give you? God, I just thank you. <laughs> I am so full of thankfulness right now for who you are and for all that we have in you. God, for eyes being open to truth. God, I thank you that you have an amazing plan for us as individuals and as a body. And I'm just so excited to say yes even though I don't even know what we're saying yes to. But I trust you. And I know you're there. And I know you're good. I just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that today, every single day, that you're speaking, that you're loving, that you're guiding. God, I thank you that you can't ignore me because I'm in your Son. But you wouldn't want to ignore me because you're the one that placed me there. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Um, we added some more chairs. If you guys notice, there's few more empty spots, and there's some people that aren't here today, so there's a little more room. But um, I just want to let you guys know, we realize the fact that we are filling up, and we've had some people come and say, hey, you know, when you reach this certain percent, that's when it's time to do something different and all that stuff. And I know what logic says, and I know what reason says, but I haven't heard what he said yet. And neither has our elders, and so we're not just going to do something because that's what you do. I met with, um, I met with a, a guy that's a pastor. Some of you guys know him, and his name's Steve. And I was talking to him, and, and he was just talking about the church and stuff. And he said, um, he said, "So you know, you guys. Uh, someone told me you guys are, are filling up." And I said, "Yeah." He said, well, "He's funny. Like I love imitating him because I love the way he talks." He says, "Well, what you going to do?" <laughs> and I said, "I don't know." He said, well, what's God saying to you, Roy? I said, he hasn't said anything. He's like, then don't do nothing. And he's pastored for a long time. He said, "Roy, I've done a lot of things just because that's what you do. And I look back and I regret every single one of them. And so if he's not saying to do anything, just keep doing what you're doing. He'll tell you when he needs to. I thought that was sage advice. We're going to take it. But I'm just asking you guys this. Try to get here a little early. Try to sit a little farther forward than you normally do. Leave the back open for people who come in late when the lights are down and worship's going on. And pray for us. Pray for for me and and the elders, the leaders of this church, that we'll just hear from God and we'll know what to do. And I just don't like the idea of doing two services. That's the natural thing to do. I feel like it creates two different church families, and I'm just not excited about that. So if if God, you know, (laughs) you know, I feel like the children of Israel a little bit. God, you know, it creates two services. And, you know, sir, but, but, but really though, I just want to make sure that we're doing exactly what he calls us to do And not doing anything ahead of anything So, just be praying for that, and thank you guys for that Thank you that we have this, this real, genuine family here Where we can just talk to each other And we don't have to act like we have everything figured out And we've got a plan You don't know what it is, but we do Well, I don't have a plan right now, except for this The same plan we have when we started five years ago with a few people We'll just do what he tells us to do And be faithful and go where he says to go Still the plan, it's worked so far um, we love you guys. Find some people that, that you don't know before you leave. Say hey to them. Find some people that you kind of know. Get to know them a little better. Maybe have lunch with somebody. Start building relationship. That's what it's about, you guys. That's what sustains us through life. When things get hard, it's about having real relationships with people. So find somebody. Say hey to them before you leave. Our prayer team will be up front. What? Oh, oh, real quickly. Timo and Julia, stand up where you guys are. They didn't know I'm going to do this, but... Um, but Timo and Julia have in their heart to adopt and they're going through the home inspection stage and they're going through all the paperwork stage and making everything official. And they, um, they, they're, they're an amazing f- couple full of God and they're going to be awesome parents to whatever child God places into their home. But right now they're in the stage where they're also having to start raising money for it. So I wanted to just let you guys know that, give you guys the opportunity. If you want to give them or sew so into what they're doing, they also you guys have a GoFundMe account set up, right? Okay, so Google search... So, Google search T-I-M-O, Sepala, or J U L I A S E P P A L A. Google search that and adoption, and the word adoption, or GoFundMe, and it will come up, and you guys can give to them and donate and sew into what they're doing. Okay? We love you guys. We'll see you back real soon.